0: God doesn't love us to the degree that we are like Christ, but to the degree that we are in Christ. God doesn't love you to the degree that you look like Jesus in your life, to the degree that you imitate him. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ, in union with his son. And so the gospel isn't You're almost there. Keep trying hard and do just a little bit more. That's what the Corinthian church was being told by the super apostles, that group of false teachers who had invaded the Corinthian church. To them, the gospel was, you have to keep all the rules. You have to obey all the rules and regulations of the Mosaic law so that God will accept you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is 100% you are in because of Jesus. So rest. God loves you even on the days when you are not like Christ. Isn't that good news? As Scotty Smith said, God doesn't love us to the degree we are like Christ, but to the degree we are in Christ, which is 100%. Our union with Christ doesn't come in an installment plan. 37% at justification, the other 63% at glorification. And so, for Christians, those who are united to Christ by faith, the days of getting on the performance treadmill and trying to earn our way are over. It's settled. As Jesus himself said on the cross, it is finished. So... God doesn't love us to the degree that we are like Christ, but to the degree that we are in Christ. And that is good news, y'all. Now, let me show you where I get that. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And it is God who... "...who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee." So Paul is reminding the Corinthian church that together, Paul, Timothy, Silvanus, and the Corinthians, together they have been established in Christ... And God, Paul says, is the one who has done that establishing. And so there is no room for boasting or pride in the Christian life whatsoever. God has done all the work of salvation and he alone gets all the credit. That means if you're a Christian and you are placing your faith in Christ, God is the one who did that work in your heart. Because before you came to Jesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were blinded by the God of this world. You were lost. You were absolutely incapable of coming to God. And God in his kindness. And in his mercy and in his grace saw you dead in your sins, blind, completely unable to come to him. And he saved you. He made you alive. He regenerated you so that you could repent of your sins and trust in his son. He did all that. Listen, if you're a Christian today, you should be awestruck by that fact. God didn't have to save you. But he did, and you should have your heart aflame this morning with joy and astonishment and wonder. Let me ask you, Christian, when was the last time that you were just flat out flabbergasted that God saved you? He saved you. You didn't do anything. You were just busy rebelling against him, hating him, living for your own glory. And in his kindness, he said, psst, I'm going to save you. We should be awestruck by that. Now, all of that wasn't even in my notes. Here we go. Back to it. God has done it all, and he gets all the credit. And what Paul is talking about here in verse 21, in these verses, verse 22 as well, is one of the most important but neglected doctrines of the Christian faith. Here it is. It's called union with Christ. What is union with Christ, and why is it important Union with Christ is what has happened to every believer in Jesus. When God did everything I just talked about, about saving you, that's union with Christ. When he saved you, he united you to his son, Jesus. So it's what has happened to every believer in Jesus. We have been united to him, united to Jesus in his life and death and resurrection and ascension. We are In Christ, as Paul says here in verse 21. This phrase, in Christ, is the New Testament's way of describing Christians. It's the New Testament's favorite way to describe a believer. In fact, the term Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. But the phrase, in Christ, or in Him, occurs around 165 times in the New Testament. That's why union with Christ is so important, because the Holy Spirit has spilled so much ink on it in the New Testament. Over 165 times. That means then that nothing is more basic or central to the Christian life than union with Christ. Being in Christ and united to Him by faith, that's what it means to be a Christian. We've talked about this through the phrase, you've probably heard me use the phrase union with Christ before in my sermon. So what does it mean that we are in union with Christ? It means that we are united to Him at all points of what He has accomplished for us. We share in His death because we have been baptized into His death. We share in His resurrection because we are resurrected with Him. We share in His ascension to God's right hand because we have been raised with Him. We share in what is called His heavenly session, meaning we sit with Him in heavenly places because our life is hidden with Christ and God. And finally, we will share in His soon return because when Christ who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory. And so the good news of all the good news of the good news is that you and I are united to Christ at all points. It's what makes the gospel good news. It is the very heart of the gospel. As theologian John Murray said, Nothing is more central or more basic than union with Christ. It is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. That means that when we are talking about the gospel, which we talk about all the time here, then union with Christ should immediately come to mind. Why? Because the greatest gift that the gospel brings to us is God himself. And so understand this grace. The greatest benefit of union with Christ is Christ. The greatest benefit of being united to Jesus is Jesus. Knowing him, loving him, enjoying him. Being united to his life and death and resurrection and ascension. Clothed in his righteousness forgiven, but none of that is worth a lick if all of those blessings come apart from Jesus. As Sinclair Ferguson says, we must never separate the benefits regeneration, justification, sanctification from the benefactor, Jesus Christ. The Christians who are most focused on their own spirituality get this, listen up, The Christians who are most focused on their own spirituality may give the impression of being the most spiritual, but from the New Testament's point of view, those who have almost forgotten about their own spirituality because their focus is so exclusively on their union with Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, those people are those who are growing and exhibiting fruitfulness. Historically speaking, whenever the piety of a particular group is focused on our spirituality, that piety will eventually exhaust itself of its own resources. Only when our piety forgets about us and focuses on Jesus Christ will our piety be nourished by the ongoing resources the Spirit brings to us from the source of all true piety, our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, do you want to grow and mature as a Christian? I hope that's your heart's desire. Do you want to see more of this Spirit's fruit in your life? Then don't focus on what you do or don't do for God. Focus on Christ. Focus on Jesus Focus exclusively on your union with Christ and what he has accomplished for you. And then you will be nourished by the ongoing resources of the Holy Spirit. And then you will begin to see fruit in your life. And then you will love God and then you will love your neighbor. But union with Christ also means that you are in Christ but also that Christ is in you. Jesus is in you. That ought to make your heart leap out of your chest while simultaneously giving you a migraine as the weight and the import of that truth sinks in. Wow! I am in Christ and He is in me? The God who just spoke this universe into existence lives inside of me? His spirit is in my heart? Unbelievable. Flabbergasting. Pinch me. Is this a dream? Union with Christ should cause that response. Pinch me. Is this real? It's too good to be true. And union with Christ, not only is it flabbergasting, it is just downright practical. It gets to the very heart of who we are and how we act and why we do the things that we do. Union with Christ can actually set us free. Union with Christ can set you free today. Union with Christ, here's what I love about this doctrine. It was tailor-made for Monday mornings. It's made for sinners who struggle with their identity and often live in the fear of man. It's made for sinners who are slaves to what other people think of them. Let me ask you, do you live in the paralyzing fear of what other people think about you? Do you leave a room and think, oh gosh, why did I say what I said? What are they going to think about me? Does that paralyze you? Are you just always walking around just tense, wound tight because you just want people to like you? To heart Facebook or Instagram? To retweet? Are you just desperate for approval? Union with Christ can set you free. Are you tired and weary and just exhausted from being a people pleaser? Listen, people pleasing will exhaust you. It will suck the very life out of you. If that's you, if I just described you, then union with Christ can set you free. So now the question is, who wants in? Who wants in on this? Everybody can be. Everybody can join. Rankin Wilborn says, to be found in Christ means you don't have to prove yourself anymore. Your frantic attempt to find or craft an acceptable identity, or your tireless work to manage your own reputation, these are over and done. You can rest in Christ. You don't have to be intimidated by anyone ever. Who are you? You are in Christ, and you no longer need to fear the judgment of God. When God looks at you, he sees you hidden in Christ. This is freedom. This is confidence. This is good, good news. Let me recommend this book to you by rankin Wilborn. Union with Christ: the way to know and enjoy God. Don't you want to know God more? Don't you want to enjoy Him more? This is one of the greatest books on union with Christ. Very easy to read. When you come to grips with what it means that you are in Christ and united to Him by faith, superglued to Him by faith, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. Isn't that good? Because how many of us go around, we're just trying to prove ourselves. You won't spend your time trying to craft an image or be somebody that you're not or to get people to like you. You won't wear yourself out trying to manage your own reputation. You'll actually stop caring about what people think about you and you'll stop being a slave to what other people think about you. I mean, how great would that be? Listen, teenagers, let me talk to you for a minute here. I remember being a teenager. Just wanted people to like me. You have days where your hair doesn't do what you want it to do, and it's like the end of the world to you. I understand that. Teenagers, you are in Christ if you're trusting in Him. If you're a Christian, it doesn't matter what people in youth group think about you. You're in Christ. You have His approval. You're free. Live the teen years with enjoying God more, knowing him more, and walking in that freedom, walking into youth group on Tuesday night just free, the burdens of trying to impress people behind you and just saying, man, I'm free, I'm in Christ. It doesn't matter if I have the coolest hairstyle or the coolest clothes, I'm in Christ. Now, let me talk to the adults because you know what, teenagers? The adults deal with it just like you do. There are people in this church who live in the fear of what other people think of them. They're people pleasers. They just want people to like them. So teenagers, it's not just you dealing with this. There are adults who deal with this too. And so union with Christ can set every single one of us free. And when you begin to embrace union with Christ and you begin to rub it down into your pores and rub it into the nooks and crannies of your heart, you know what? You'll finally start to rest. You'll finally begin to enjoy life. And then guess what? You'll actually begin enjoying God. And that's what you were made for. I mean, imagine that. Imagine being so relaxed about life that you can really enjoy God. When you begin to understand your union with Christ, and listen, it takes a lifetime of this, and it takes reading book after book after book on this subject. When you begin to understand your union with Christ, you won't be intimidated by people anymore because you'll be free, and you'll quit obsessively thinking about what other people or what God thinks about you, and you'll just simply rejoice that when God sees you, he doesn't see a loser Or someone who can't get their act together. He sees his son Jesus. All because of your union with him. You're glued to him. Kind of stuck to him the way some Lego pieces are. Like you just can't get some of those Lego pieces apart. That's your union with Christ. It's like two Lego bricks that just can't be separated. It's all because of your union with Christ. And so I told you. It was the most important doctrine. And now I hope you see that it's so practical as well. But let's look at verse 21 again. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. The word established here, this Greek word means solid, durable, firm. In other words, we're not on shaky ground with God. We're not wearing socks on a freshly waxed floor. Imagine that. That's how some of us feel like with God. It's like that old Far Side cartoon, Lupo Slipophobia, the fear of being pursued by timber wolves around a kitchen table while wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. That's how some of us are with God, as if we approach God and we're wearing socks and the floor has just been waxed and there's no stability. But union with Christ destroys that kind of thinking. Our status in Christ is secure. We're not on shaky ground with God. We're not wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. We are secure, established. In fact, the word established here is a present active participle. That means that it's ongoing. Our status in Christ does not shift. It doesn't change based on our behavior. Thank God Nothing can stop it, not even our behavior. Why? Because it is God, Paul says, who establishes us in Christ, not us. Paul is reminding the Corinthian church, contrary to what these false teachers were saying, remember, they were Judaizers, they were Jewish people who came into Gentile churches and told these Gentile Christians, you basically have to become a Jew in order to be saved. You have to be circumcised and obey all the Mosaic laws. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians who are hearing that message, be circumcised, obey everything in the Mosaic law so that you can be saved, Paul is reminding them that God is the one who has done it all in salvation. He is the one who has established all of them in Christ. And so what we merely do is we just receive it with the empty hands of faith. But we always don't don't always feel our union with Christ, do we? We don't feel it because we sin. And when we do that and we begin to drift from God, God begins to feel distant. And when that happens, here's the good news. Nothing happens with our union with Christ. When God seems distant, nothing happens with our union. It's still intact. It's in place. As Paul says, it's established. The union holds no matter what we do. No matter how bad we sin, no matter what we feel or how distant God may seem to us, the union holds secure. And so our union with Christ never changes. We're we're super glued to Him. It's rock solid no matter what we do. But our communion with Christ may suffer. There is no ebb and flow with our union with Christ, but our communion with God does fluctuate. There's ebb and flow in our communion with God because we're sinners, but it never affects our union. And if we play with sin, and if we let our hearts grow cold, and if we neglect the means of grace like prayer and fellowship and reading the Bible and corporate worship, then our communion with God will suffer. Our union with Christ is never at stake, but communion can and will suffer when our hearts drift. And so in other words, God's love for us is secure no matter what we do. That's union. But our love for God, that's his love for God for us is solid secure. That's union. But our love for God can be a roller coaster ride, can it? That's communion with God. And one reason our union never changes is because of something else that Paul says in verse 21. He tells us that God has anointed us. The word here for anointed comes from the same Greek root word as Christ. And so you have uh, Christon in this passage and you have Kresus. So you got Christon and Kresus. So you could translate verse 21 this way. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Ace Christon. And who has also Christed us, Croesus. Or it is God who establishes us with you in the anointed one and has anointed us. And so those words are the same there, same Greek root they come from. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and who has Christed us. The name Christ means anointed as does the Hebrew word Messiah. So Jesus Christ is Jesus anointed. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, who was prophesied and promised in the Old Testament. And so Paul is reminding the Corinthians that Jesus is called Christ, and Christians are said to be Christed. We are anointed too. We share with Jesus the very anointing, the very same Spirit. We're united with His Christhood and have been anointed too. So get this, Christian. God has Christed you. You have been anointed or Christed. He has anointed you with his spirit. In fact, Paul goes on to say in verse 22 that God has sealed us with the Spirit and given us His Spirit. Look at verse 22. And who has also put His seal on us and given us His spirits in our hearts as a guarantee. The seal here has the idea of sealing a letter with wax and then stamping a symbol into it to make it official. So it's official, y'all. It's official, We belong to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Because I don't know what you did this past week. I could venture a guess, but I know what I did. And I still belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. It's official. You can't disobey your way out of the family of God. Because God has put a seal on us and he looks at us and he says, Mine, they belong to me. The Holy Spirit is the seal. He lives in our hearts. He is the guarantee, the down payment. And so he's the down payment, which means we have a foretaste of heaven now because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. In fact, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to you. How kind of God. He gives us his spirit. He shares. He doesn't hoard. He's not a miser. He gives He gives his spirit. What a kind and gracious God we serve. Some of you think of him as a cranky curmudgeon or some kind of greedy miser, but you know what? He gives. That's what he does. Give, give, give. He shares. And so when you put all of this together, when you roll it all together, you get union with Christ. When you add the words established, plus in Christ, plus anointed, plus sealed, plus given, plus His Spirit, plus guarantee, what you get is union with Christ. And if you are united to Christ, then Christian, you don't have to prove yourself anymore to anyone. You're not wearing socks on a newly waxed floor. You are secure and You don't have to frantically attempt to find or craft some kind of acceptable identity. You don't have to craft some kind of image that you put on social media where you project something that you're really not, but you just want to be loved and feel accepted and important, so you kind of create this false self. You don't have to do that, Christian. You're free to give up your tireless work of managing your own reputation. You can rest now in Christ. You don't have to live in the oppressive and exhausting chains of people-pleasing. Union with Christ means that you don't have to be intimidated by anyone ever. And you no longer need to fear the judgment of God. Because when God looks at you, Christian, he sees you hidden in Christ. You were judged at the cross with Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, you're free. And that's exactly why nothing is more central or more basic than union with Christ. It is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. And I think that the great reformer Martin Luther explains union with Christ so well In a tract that he wrote titled On the Freedom of a Christian, Luther said, one of the best ways to understand the gospel, one of the best ways to understand the doctrine of union with Christ is by thinking of it as a marriage between a king and a queen. And so Luther tells the story of this great king who represents Jesus. And this king is rich and he's powerful and he's wise And he's kind and he's good. And he marries this poor girl from this very poor podunk village. But she's not just a poor girl from a poor podunk village. She's actually a prostitute. And in the story, she represents us, the church. And this girl, this prostitute, could never ever on her own and through her own behavior... Make herself the king's wife. She could never be good enough to marry the king. I mean, she could try to clean up her act. She could cut down on the prostitution. She could go to Bible studies and work for the good of her city. She could try to be really, really good, but none of her actions would deem her worthy to be the king's wife. It's only if the king chooses her to be his wife. That's the only chance that she has. And so the king does choose her to be his wife. And so they get married, the king and the prostitute. Think about that. And on the wedding day, she tells the king, all that I am, I give to you. Thanks, says the king. And so she shares with the king all of her dishonor, her debts, her shady past, her wicked ways, her diseases. Not the best things to share, huh? But then the king speaks to her and he says, My darling, all that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. And just like that, she's the queen. She has gone from being a prostitute to becoming the queen. But she doesn't know yet how a queen is supposed to act. She hasn't changed her ways yet. She doesn't know how to act and behave as a queen. She doesn't know which fork to use, which side of the plate, the table setting. She doesn't know any of that. She will one day. She'll learn. But she's messy, real messy. And she's got baggage. She's rough around the edges. But she's the queen. And all of the king's kingdom is hers now. That's The gospel, the great marriage of Jesus and his bride. We give to Jesus all of our sins, our rebellion, our diseases, our baggage, our mess, our drama. And he takes it all unto himself on the cross. And then he shares with us all of his life, all of his righteousness, all of his glory, all of his kingdom. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. And so now, our identity has changed. No longer the prostitute, now the queen. No longer the prostitute, though we still play the part, don't we? But now the church is the queen, united in marriage to her king, and all of his kingdom belongs to her. And so, Martin Luther then says that the sinner is, can confidently display his or her sin. The sinner can talk about their sin in the face of death, in the face of hell, and can actually say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ has not sinned, and all his is mine, and all of mine is his. That's the gospel. That's union with Christ. We are perfectly accepted in Him. We have His righteousness. He has spoken this over us. His voice has declared these things true of us, even when we don't feel it. It's not a fairy tale. And if this is true, if we are perfectly accepted in Christ and we have His righteousness, then here's what it means. We are secure. Secure in Him. Established, we're safe. He will never let us go. He will not be shaken, not even by our sins. Not even by our sins. That's union with Christ. I love the way Sinclair Ferguson explains it. He says, Union with Christ. It's as if all the medals and honors of Christ are pinned to your chest in all of heaven salutes you what does it mean to be in union with christ it's as if all the medals and the honors of christ that he has won through his life death resurrection and ascension as if they're pinned to your chest and then all of heaven salutes you wow think about that you are so united to jesus so super glued to him so connected to him so one with him that if you walked into heaven right now christian All the angels would bow down before you. All of those weird creatures that fly around God's throne that have eyes all over their bodies, they would stop and they would salute you. Wow. Listen, it's not because you're something, because you're not. So please understand that. Not because you are something, but because Jesus is. And you have been so united to him, so connected to him, that that's what heaven would do if you just showed up unannounced. All of heaven would salute you. That's union with Christ. So why not risk your life on this truth? Why not risk your life? Stick your neck out and trust God's word and say, I am in union with him. What do you have to lose? People-pleasing, fear of man, exhaustion from trying to craft an image. But we don't always feel our union with Christ, do we? We all know too well the ebb and flow of our communion with God. We're up one day, we're down the next. God is not like that. He's all in. He's committed. He's faithful. His love never gets cold. But we're warm to him one day, and then we're cold the next. We know our sin. We know our failures. So how in the world can God continue to love us when we clearly are not like his son Jesus? We're not like Christ. We don't act like him. How has God not just given up on us by now? Well, there's a passage in the Old Testament in The book of Isaiah that speaks to this. The nation of Israel, if you know your Bible, they know this so well. They know this up and down, warm then cold, ebb and flow so well. But they began to entertain the thought that maybe the Lord had forsaken them. That maybe he finally got fed up with them, kicked them out of the house, and threw all of their belongings out on the front lawn. But what does Isaiah tell us about Yahweh? About the Lord. Isaiah 49, 14 to 16. But Zion said, The Lord, Yahweh, has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. That's Old Testament language for union with Christ. That's the Old Testament version of 2 Corinthians one twenty-one. We have been tattooed into Christ. That's really the Hebrew word here. It means engraved, but in this context, it means tattooed. We have been tattooed into Christ, engraved into his hand. That means then, Christian, your name has been tattooed into the palms of Jesus. Think about that. So God cannot forget you. He won't forget you. A nursing mother would not ever forget her child. But some do. We know that. But even if a nursing mother did abandon her child, Isaiah is saying God won't. All he has to do is look at his hands and he will see your name tattooed there. Your name cannot be removed from his hand by your behavior. It's secure, it's established, it's embedded, it's engraved, it's tattooed. And so understand this, Grace. God will never stop loving you because he never started loving you. If you're in union with Christ, if you're one of his elect chosen people, he never started loving you. He has always loved you in Christ in eternity past. And so God will never stop loving you because he never started loving you. He has always loved you in Christ. And if you are in Christ, he loves you unconditionally. There is nothing that you can ever do to make God stop loving you. There's nothing that you can ever do to make God stop loving you. The reason he established you in Christ, as Paul says here, the reason he anointed you and sealed you with his spirit and gave you his spirit into your heart, as Paul says, is because he loves you. Believe that today. And be free. And then just relax. Quit being so uptight. And just learn To simply enjoy God. That's what you were made for. God doesn't love us to the degree that we are like Christ. But to the degree that we are in Christ. And we are in all the way baby. Let's pray. Father thank you for being so kind. And gracious. To sinners like us it's so amazing it's so flabbergasting that you would save us because we know our hearts we know the kind of people we are and yet in your kindness you sent your son to do what we could not do and you gave us your spirit you're such a giving God and we thank you for that help us to hate sin help us to fight sin so that our communion with you is not so quickly up and down, warm and cold, ebb and flow, Lord. We want to honor you and glorify you with our lives. Help us to do that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for establishing us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.